0: The show, the establishment warned you about. That's right. It's the Doctor Tommy show. Glad you're here. Thank you for joining us again. Broadcasting from the free state of Florida and the heart of Florida, Tampa, Florida, from Echelon Health Studios. The last time we were here, uh, I talked about Stephen Crowder and how he got an offer to do his show on the Daily Wire for fifty million dollars. In our efforts to also get that offer, please join us by uh, subscribing and listening, and also sharing with your friends. Shameless plug, but anyway, the closer you get us to $50 million, the, the more <laughs> grateful we'll be. Thank you for joining us. we got a lot to cover today. I hope we get through it all. I don't know if we will. This ongoing debt ceiling is kind of annoying. Every few years this happens. The first time I ever remember hearing about it was probably when I was in high school or something like that, and it was Bill Clinton. And they threatened to shut down the government. Oh, we're going to shut down the government. And actually, that's when they did shut down the government. And Newt Gingrich was in charge in the House of Representatives, and um, they shut down the government. And uh, it was done to try to force Clinton to cut some of the spending. Because as you all know, or as you may or may not know, the spending is completely out of control. I was listening to a podcast uh, earlier with um, it was actually a clip from Mark Levin talking to the late Walter Williams. This was from about 11 years ago, and he was talking about how the government is taking in so much more money uh, than it did in 1960. I forgot the exact numbers, something like 20 times as much money, but at the same time, spending has grown by 60 times or something along those lines anyway it was it was completely disproportionate so there's this fallacy that there's some type of revenue problem in the government which is complete lunacy i mean if you look at it in your own city or state drive around in hillsborough county for instance in pasco county let's take hillsborough and pasco county there's cars everywhere this is in florida where where tampa's at around tampa and there's just cars everywhere. Every one of those cars pays taxes on the gas they put in the car, pays taxes on the uh, registrations, uh, pays taxes on um, all those people live in homes that pay taxes. Just you know, all this money is going to the local government. And then at the same time here in here in uh, Hillsborough County, they are trying to get more money from the local citizens for. Uh, hiring students, I'm sorry, hiring teachers so that we can teach the students here. That's just an example. But they make it seem like they have a revenue problem. There's clearly no revenue problem. There are so many people here. The revenue, the amount of money that they make is incredible off of taxes. If you just think about it, just think about sales tax And for for one. Everything that is sold in, in your state, if you have a sales tax, everything that is sold, a portion of that goes to the government. That alone should be able to fund the whole government. But the problem is the government's completely out of control with spending. And uh, one of the things they always talk about with the debt ceiling is, oh, what's the first thing they say? We're not going to be able to pay uh, for Social Security. The old people are going to have to starve because we won't raise the debt ceiling. And then you'll get some guy like Mitch McConnell. He'll get on there and say, we're not going to let the Social Security not get paid we're going to meet them in the middle and we're going to get to a a compromise. And then they come out and they compromise and the debt ceiling gets raised. And what do you know? Nothing ever happens long-term that's that's dangerous. But uh, some of this stuff about uh, the uh, debt ceiling is complete uh, fictitious. And and in order to look at that, you have to look at some, some of the things that people have talked about before. And, so this is from this is from uh, Walter Williams. From let's see, 2013, and he says here it's talking about the debt ceiling. And this is from his uh, article column titled "Politicians Lie Because Americans Don't Want to Know the Truth About Entitlements." It says um, earlier this year, President Barack Obama warned that Social Security checks would be delayed if Congress fails to increase the government's borrowing authority by raising the debt ceiling. However, there's an issue with this warning. According to the 2012 Security Social Security Trustees Report, assets in Social Security's trust funds totaled 2.7 trillion and Social Security expenditures totaled 773 billion. Therefore, regardless of what Congress does with the debt limit, Social Security recipients are guaranteed their checks. Just take the money from the 2.7 trillion in assets held in trust. So that's the other that's one of the first fallacies you hear. They say, well, we have to raise the debt ceiling because we have to pay for Social Security. Well, Social Security funds are supposed to be in a trust. But here's the big lie. Which is the lie? Social Security checks must be delayed if the debt ceiling is not raised. Which is the lie? Social Security checks must be delayed if the debt ceiling is not raised. Or there's a $2.7 trillion in the trust uh, for Social Security. The fact of the matter is they're both lies, Okay, so here we go. The Social Security Trust Fund contains nothing more than IOUs, bonds that have absolutely no market value. So Social Security Trust Fund, which they always talk about, is is not a trust fund in the sense that there is any money in there. It is an accounting maneuver. Money that is earmarked for Social Security goes into an account. That money is instantaneously moved out of that account into the general fund and in its place is put a non-tradable security. It is as if you were to borrow money from your wife, and uh, at the same time count the money that you borrowed from her as your money, and the money that uh, was that was put on the is on the name of the loan as money as well. They're double counting money. So the money that is in the Social Security Trust Fund, quote unquote, gets moved into the general fund. At the same time, they create this non-tradable non-tradable security called a whatever they call it but it sits in this fund as a placeholder to say here is part of the 2.7 trillion dollar at that time social security trust fund and they said in other words these are worthless bookkeeping entries social security is a pay-as-you-go system meaning the taxes paid by today's workers are immediately sent out as payment to today's retirees social security is just another federal program funded out of general funds so social security is just a line item on the budget just like if it were tanks or uh, uh, just if it were uh, food stamps or any other thing that we spend money on every year from the federal government, that's what Social Security is. It's just a line item on the at paid out general funds. And so Walter Williams goes on to say, if if, if we really were concerned about the debt ceiling and paying for um paying for our bills, all we'd have to do is make a law that says, look, we have to pay these important things first. And they always talk about paying down the debt, paying our, our interest on the debt. So paying our bondholders, essentially. And they say, well, we're going to default on our debt and then our, our credit rating will crash and then everything will follow will be calamitous. So Walter Williams makes a point. He says that all you'd have to do is pass a law that says we're going to pay Social Security first. And we're also going to pay on our debt second. And then after that, we'll have to figure out where to cut the rest of the revenue. But they don't want to do that. It's as if it was. It's like what happened here in our county. We had this thing, this uh, referendum to raise, I think it was, what was it? They wanted to put on another half a cent sales tax. No, that was what they want to do. They already got a half a cent sales tax for us. To pay for their air conditioners for the schools for Hillsborough County, because they couldn't afford they couldn't afford air conditioners, so they said, "Look, the kids are going to roast. Florida's hot uh, unless you help us pay for air conditioners." So the people in Hillsborough County who have very big hearts said, "Well, okay, we'll we'll raise taxes. I, for, I think it's for 15 years, half a cent sales tax, and we're going to use that to pay for air conditioners." That was like a couple years ago. Well, then a couple of years goes by and then they come back hat in hand and say, uh, well, now we can't afford to pay our teachers and we need to raise the uh, property taxes for you to pay for the, the, the portion of your property tax that goes towards schools. We have to raise that portion. And that that barely lost. I think you have to get 60% in in Florida for that. I think it got like, 55 percent or something. It came close, but it didn't pass it. And so that barely barely, pa- barely missed uh, being passed. So we were spared that tax increase. So we were going to say, well, what's going to happen now? They're not going to be able to get teachers. Kids are not going to learn. What happened is a few weeks later, or actually a few weeks ago, this has been months now, a few weeks ago, they said, guess what happened? There's several schools now in Hillsborough County that are going to be shut down. And they're going to combine they're going to redistrict and they're going to be, uh, basically more efficient with their schools. So what happened was they had these schools that were not fully utilized with students, but instead of saying beforehand, let's go ahead and, uh, you know, look at our expenses and see if we can cut down on our expenses with some of these schools and some of these administrators and some of these teachers that are working at these schools. Instead, they said, no, 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 let's raise property tax because that's what they always do. They always have to raise taxes first. And the thing is, is, um, they would have never done that if they had gotten that money because that's the way the government works. It just keeps going on and on and on and on. But the question is, is you know, if we are going to talk about Social Security, what are what should we really do about Social Security? Because Social Security, as we talked about just now, doesn't have any money in it. And so there's going to be a point in time when there's no money to pay for Social Security because there's not enough workers. That's why it's a Ponzi scheme. This is another Walter Williams Article. This is called Social Security Disaster is originally printed in twenty twenty eleven. It says Politicians who are principled enough to point out the fraud of Social Security, referring to it as a lie in a Ponzi scheme are under siege. Acknowledgement of Social Security problems is is not calling it I mean sorry. Acknowledging of Social Security's problems is not the same as calling for an abandonment of recipients. Instead it's a call to take actions now while there's time to avert a disaster. Let's look at it. So they're talking about the Ponzi scheme. It says, the term was derived from a scheme created in the 1920s by Charles Ponzi, a poor but enterprising Italian immigrant. Here's how it works. You persuade some people to give you their money to invest. After a while, you pay them a nice return, but the return doesn't come from investments. What you pay them comes from money of other people who are are persuaded to, quote, invest in your scheme. The scheme works so long as you can persuade greater and greater numbers of people to, quote, invest so that you can pay off your earlier quote investors. After a while, Ponzi couldn't find enough new investors and his scheme collapsed. He was convicted of fraud and sent to prison. So that's that's what a Ponzi scheme is. So you, you say, look, invest in my process here, invest in whatever I'm doing. I'm gonna pay you a, a high percent, more than you, what you can get in any other investment. And then you convince more and more people to do that. You never invest the money, you never get money from your investment, but you use new people's money to pay for the the people who are already invested and you pretend like it's coming from the original investment, but in actuality it's just from new dupes, new people who are being duped out of their money. And eventually you run out of people to dupe because th- the bottom of the pyramid, another reason they call it a pyramid scheme, gets so big that you can't possibly uh, you can't possibly afford to pay the all the investors. So back to the article, it says, The very first Social Security check went to Ida Mae Fuller in 1940. She paid just $24.75 into Social Security taxes, but collected a total of $22,882.92 in benefits, getting back all she put into Social Security in one month. According to a congressional research report titled Social Security Reform in October of 2002, workers who retired in 1980 at age 65 Now, okay, so workers who retired in 1980, age 65, got all they put into Social Security plus interest in 2.5 years. No, 2.8 years. Workers who retired at age 65 in 2002 will have to wait a total of 16.9 years to break even. For those retiring in 2020, it will take 20.9. Okay, so that's people who retired three years ago now. Now, listen to this. Workers entering the labor force today, this was in 2011, won't live long enough to get back even half of what they will put into social security. Social security faces Ponzi's problem. Not enough quote new investors in 1940, there were 160 workers paying social security per retiree. This is today, meaning 2011 when this was written today, there are only 2.9 and falling. Some politicians claim that social security has a huge trust fund is a good health. We already talked about that. So basically the, trust, the, the this whole idea about this debt ceiling, and we need to raise a debt ceiling because if we're not able to, we're not going to be able to pay our retirees, is a complete lie. That's only used as a way to make people scared, make people emotional, to want to raise the debt ceiling. And uh, every every year it gets raised, raised and raised and raised. Back in this when this article was written in 2011, I bet the the debt was probably 2011. I think the debt was around. It might have been 20 20 trillion. It might have been approaching 20 trillion. Now it's over 30 trillion, I believe. And that is just the actual debt. That is not what is included in what they call unfunded liabilities, which is basically money that is owed to people if they were to collect on social security now. So the amount of money that you would need to have in the bank in order to pay people who are entitled to social security at this point who are still alive, if you include that amount in, I think the, the estimates go from the uh, debt being uh, uh, 30 trillion to over 100 trillion. The last time I looked, but the last time I looked was a long time ago. So it's even more now. And it says, um, and so we say, well, what are we gonna do about this? There's nothing that we can do about it. All we can do is just throw up our hands and say, what are we gonna do, raise our debt ceiling, Go back to watching TikTok videos and then forget about anything, that any of this ever happened. But Walter Williams has a fix. All right, here it goes. Here's what might be a temporary fix. Uh, the federal government owns huge quantities of wasting assets, assets that are not producing anything. 650 million acres of land, almost 30% of the land area of the United States. In exchange for those who choose to opt out of Social Security and forsake any future claim, this is a great idea, why not pay them off with 40 or so acres of land? Doing so would give us breathing room to develop a a free choice method to finance retirement, which is exactly what it should be. People should not be forced to invest their money in Social Security because it's not an investment. Like we said, Social Security money goes in today, to the trust fund gets immediately instantly put into the general revenue fund and gets shipped to places like Ukraine. It gets, uh, it gets, it gets sent to uh, COVID relief that is used uh, for non COVID relief because they said there's something like, I forgot what I saw. That was $42 billion or some amount of money that was in COVID relief. That was absolutely uh, fallacious, fraudulent, but that's what we should do. We should, We should give people a way out of social security, get rid of that unfunded liability, get rid of that cudgel that they can use now to raise the debt ceiling over and over and over again. Because at some point we are going to become uh, basically to the point where we can't really pay our bills and we are not able to pay service the debt. And then when your credit rating drops, like what happened in Greece, uh, it's probably been 10 years now is that basically the, uh, the government defaults on its debt. And that's going to happen here. Give it enough time. Give it enough time. There is um, two recent mass shootings take place. I'm sorry, not two recent mass shootings. Two recent shootings take place. One of them is a mass shooting. And this was the one that took place in California. And this was a man who killed 10 people celebrating the Lunar New Year in California and this was from today. It says the motive remains unclear. So this is from Breitbart. California Lunar, Lunar New Year mass shooter dead. Motive unclear. Uh, it says an intensive manhunt began Saturday after a man opened fire inside a dance studio club in Monterey Park, a city near Los Angeles with a large Asian community. And then I was listening to Clay and Buck earlier. Those two uh, media whores, Adam Schiff and... Uh, Chuck Schumer could not restrain themselves, and immediately launched into a woke interpretation of this shooting. And what was that woke interpretation? That this was somehow related to anti-Asian bigotry and hatred. And they, as the defenders of the faith of for uh, diversity, inclusion, and whatever else equity, they were going to jump in and condemn the people who did the shooting as uh, bigots likely Trump supporters likely MAGA people probably were at the January 6th insurrection and in actuality it turns out it was an Asian man it says here uh, the suspect identified by police as a 72 year old man named Hu Cantran and he he basically went to this club and tried to shoot somebody or shot these people uh, but he was disarmed at that club before fleeing Oh, he actually he he went to a he went to two clubs. He shot people at one club, and then went to another club and started shooting people before he was disarmed. And then here is here it goes. The weapon used was not an assault rifle. This is from the sheriff of LA County, Robert Luna. It says, "I can tell you the suspect walked in there probably with the intent to kill more people, and these two brave community members decided they were going to jump in to action and disarm him." They took possession of the weapon and the suspect ran away. The weapon was not an assault rifle, Luna said, but a magazine-fed semi-automatic pistol that had an extended large-capacity magazine attached to it. So that's not good for the media, that it was not a semi-automatic. I'm sorry, that was not an AR-15 or as a Geraldo thought AR meant, automatic rifle 15. Um, but unfortunately, these people were killed. And I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to tell you. If you put yourself in a situation, and I'm not blaming these people at all. I, I'm not. I'm just saying, if you put yourself in a situation and it happens because you, you're forced into these situations where there's no recourse around to defend yourself, then all you can do really is do like these people did and try to disarm the person and pray, really, and hide. That's the only thing you can do. There's another story out there about a another thing and this media media doesn't like this story and this 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 story will vanish. This story will vanish. This, it may not even be in the news tomorrow. Uh, this story will vanish because it is a it is an Asian person uh, opening fire on other Asian people, not using an AR15. and the media has no interest in that at all because it doesn't advance their narrative. Of, uh, you know, like like Chuck Schumer and Adam Schiff were trying to say some type of white supremacist uh, evoking a uh, you know MAGA beliefs and uh, using era 15s That's the, that's the drive-by media's wet dream, and that did not take place. So this story will vanish. There's another story out there that happened, and it was in a Walmart, and I believe, in Evansville, Indiana. There was this gentleman, uh, call him a gentleman, some asshole. Uh, crazed person went into Walmart where he was formerly a worker, apparently was fired. And he went in there and he singled out two people out of his employees, former employees, and uh, put them in the middle of the room and told the other employees to line up against the wall. He shot one person in the face. And then after that, everybody scattered and uh, including the other person that he was going to shoot. And uh, he went off on foot to chase that person When that person got away, he came back into the room to try to shoot the woman that he had already shot once and kill her and finish her off. But some one of the brave co-workers actually went back into the break room where she was lying wounded and dragged her into a um, a closet area where she was able to to hide her essentially, but also to help tend to her wounds until the police arrived. And um, so this other guy, though, was a black man. And I read another article that said he was a gay black man. And apparently, according to this other article, he was he was in uh, what was it, infatuated or somehow uh, somehow uh, was attracted to her boyfriend at the time, the, the woman he shot in the face. And that was the reason for shooting her in the face. Like, like I said, this was the article I read. I don't know if that's true. If it is true, that's another reason that. That sh- that that are that's another reason that that um, story has no legs in the media. The drive-by media will move on from that one because guns are uh, used by the media to exploit uh, feelings of emotion and used to control people and then uh, used to basically disarm law-abiding people and it's always done for the benefit of those people who are supposedly at risk from guns. But there's this article here. This is an op-ed. This is from Newsweek by Jeff Charles. It says, Gun laws have disproportionate impact on black communities. It's an opinion piece. It says, The following is a lightly edited transcript of remarks made by Jeff Charles during a Newsweek debate about gun control laws being racists. And It says here, the Second Amendment guarantees our right to bear arms. And if you look at the lives that are taken by gun violence, it's a very minuscule percentage that are taken by these so-called weapons of war, which are not weapons of war. These are not weapons that the military uses. People actually use AR-15s for hunting. There's a lot of people who do. There's a lot of people who use it for home defense. And you have the right to and you're right to have that. And you have the right to have that. And to me, this whole assault weapon hysteria is just a precursor to putting restrictions on more commonly used guns than are actually used in gun violence, handguns. There is a good reason to deprive law abiding citizens. There is no good reason to deprive law abiding citizens of the right to bear arms. And he goes on to say, he says the very roots of gun control, gun control movement in America were designed to disarm black people as slaves, even as they became freedmen, because they would use these to protect themselves from external racist threats. So as time went on, they had to change the nature of these laws because you can't pass laws saying that we don't want black people owning guns, but now there's a way to do it a lot more subtle. And I'm not talking about assault weapon bans, although that could, although that could classify. But basically, he goes on to say that you make it harder for people to to get guns by making it more restrictive. And it says here, he goes on to talk about uh, how they um, use gun law requirements to uh, keep the guns out of poor neighborhoods, basically, to so that people can defend themselves. It says, but when you have these licensing schemes that have exorbitant fees just to license to carry and all these taxes that they pile along with all these requirements which cost more money, then you basically have to be a middle class or upper middle class white person to be able to legally own a firearm, which puts a lot lot of black people in a position where they have to carry anyway in violation of the law, which further exposes them to being arrested and sent to jail. The vast majority of gun violence is committed by people who obtain their guns illegally outside of the law. These aren't gang members who went to the local gun store, went through the local background or went through the background check, got a gun, and then went out and shot somebody. These are people who got them illegally. So when you restrict black gun ownership or try to curtail it, you're leaving black people a lot more vulnerable. To me, it's absurd. You're actually making people more vulnerable to the people who don't follow the law, which is exactly right. But if you look at it, just think about it. You know, think about all these inner city uh, neighborhoods where there's predominantly black neighborhoods. They're all gun control. They're all gun control, heavily gun controlled. And they're also the ones where all the crime, not all the crime, where the vast majority of the crime takes place. So what are you supposed to do when you're in a situation like that? So you can quickly see where the whole gun control argument is as basically can't hold water because you're talking about trying to control guns that are not in a legal fashion and trying to control people who do not follow the law from getting the guns. And the people who can try to protect themselves then with guns, you make it hard to get legally. And like you said, then they, try to, they have to resort to carrying a gun l- illegally to protect themselves from criminals. You now, back to what I was saying before, this people in Walmart, they had no chance. This guy came in, he broke the law, he came in, he lined them up, I'm assuming in, in Walmart, you're not allowed to carry if you're, if you work at Walmart. And so basically they were sitting ducks and the only thing they could do was wait for a chance to run after he already assaulted someone and nearly killed them. So, yeah, like I said, I feel, I feel bad for people who can't arm themselves and it's not just the law. It's just a situation because if you go to a theme park or if you go to wherever, you're not going to be able to arm yourself. You know, you know, if someone ever comes in here and starts acting, starts acting threatening or something, they're going to have a, a, a hell of a time. Uh, they're going to have a hell of a time because if I don't take care of them, if they're acting violent and they're threatening us and if they have a gun and they're acting violent, if I don't shoot them, Tracy will, because we're both armed. But that's different because we're we're business owners and we can arm ourselves if we want and we are armed. But you know these walmart employees they can't be armed so it's it's really terrible but this gun these, this gun violence these gun laws it the media is, does such a terrible job of actually finding truth you know that's what they're supposed to do i think find the truth or speak truth to power whatever the case is all they do is parrot the party line and then they push these leftist agenda and in this case, the leftist agenda is disarmament because you must always, first step of authoritarianism is you must disarm the populace. You know, go back in history. You know, you can't own a gun in any, any, go to look at any modern dictatorship and say, can I own a gun there? No. Can I own a gun in North Korea? No. Can I own a gun in China? No. Can I own a gun in, um, in, um, and um, could you own a gun in the communist uh, Soviet Union? No. Handgun. Can you own a gun in New York City? Not really. So there you go. There's a new move afoot to try to get the COVID vaccine to make the COVID vaccine into an annual shot. And this was predicted by many, including myself. This is from WFLA. Dot .iheart.com this is WFLA the local uh news news radio station it says the US Food and Drug Administration announced changes to the COVID-19 vaccine process and documents shared online Monday morning the agency said the COVID-19 vaccine process could follow a similar format to the flu vaccine which would possibly include streamlining streamlining the vaccine composition immunization schedules and updates on COVID-19 vaccines as more information becomes available, blah, blah, blah. It goes on to say, basically, that what they're going to do is try to make the COVID vaccine exactly analogous to the flu. Now, think about that for a second. What have we just found out there? What we have just found out there is that the reason for most of the restrictive uh, regulations and laws and policies of the last three years have been all for naught because what was the whole reason for the vaccine what was the whole reason that the quote-unquote vaccine which is not a vaccine which is a therapeutic what was the whole reason for that right initially like joe biden and dr fauci and dr burks and Everybody else and, and President Bush and Bill Clinton and every and, and Obama said in their little commercial, get the vaccine because it'll stop the spread of COVID, right? And then and then eventually we're going to get to COVID zero and we're going to be able to go back to normal. You're going to be able to unmask yourself. You're going to be able to go see grandma. You're going to be able to have Thanksgiving. You're going to be able to drive your boat around like Gretchen Whitmer's husband can in the midst of covid uh, so this was, this is acknowledging, obviously, which, which has been predicted by people like myself and others, many others, with any sense that the COVID-19 virus was never going to go away. This is as clear to me now as it was when it first came out. You know why? Because guess what? A coronavirus is a virus that occur, occurs all the time now. Coronaviruses are part of the type of viruses that cause common colds. And so if you make some type of novel virus in a bat that you then there eat and it somehow mysteriously spreads into you and then it becomes a pandemic, which did not happen. Or if you take a naturally occurring coronavirus and you use money from Dr. Fauci and others and you cook it up in your lab in China. And you were going to use it as a bioweapon because later on you were probably going to attach other more pathogenic genes into that carrier. But that carrier gets out. Then you have COVID-19. No matter what, the coronavirus is a coronavirus is not going to go away. But this change here now makes it official that there's going to be never going to be a COVID-0, which we all knew. But that was the basis. So they will never admit that. They'll never go back and look. It's like in 1984, they're going to make it its memory hold. It never happened. You know, we're at war with East Asia. We're, we're at war with Eurasia. Get the COVID vaccine and you will get COVID zero. We're never going to have COVID zero because now you have to get annual COVID vaccine. It's just. If people live through this and they don't have more. Suspicions about the government or questions or. Uh more cynical about government than I don't know what the hell can help them. I honestly don't. But anyway, they're going to try to get people to take this every year now. Uh, and it's going to be the same thing. You know, I don't know. If very many people will get this. Honestly. Uh, the flu vaccine is not incredibly popular. I know a lot of people get it kind of out of habit, you know, mostly because it's like, well, gee, you know, if, if I get the vaccine and it, and it does help me, then It does. If it doesn't, well, I just got a vaccine and it wasn't a big deal. COVID's a different story. The COVID vaccine, quote unquote, is a different story. The mRNA shots are a different story. You know, we don't know what the long-term consequences of getting mRNA shots are. We don't know what the short-term consequences are because we're not allowed to ask the question. You know, up until recently, if you ask that question, you'd get banned. So we don't know what the consequences, short or long-term, of mRNA shots are. We have an idea. We know that it causes myocarditis. Uh, We know it can cause Guillain-Barre. We know that it can cause anaphylaxis. We suspect that there may be long-term consequences. We suspect that there may be a lot of subclinical myocarditis. We suspect that subclinical myocarditis causes scarring. And then even more people or even some people suspect that that scarring is arrhythmogenic. In, the, in periods of great stress or great excitement, when catecholamines are surging, such as sleeping, because it happens every time you sleep, your catecholamines surge late in sleep. Or when you're playing football or whenever, or maybe just out of nowhere, you can get an arrhythmogenic fatal arrhythmia and die. Some people think that. Anyway, so that's what I'm saying is the flu vaccine is one thing. The flu vaccine is a traditional vaccine. What does that mean? Traditional vaccine is like the one that Jonas Salk made. Uh, This one that was, uh, you know, made. uh, Who was it made? The cowpox vaccine. Anyway, the cowpox vaccine, smallpox vaccine. That was the original vaccine. They take a peptide and they isolate it and they inject you with it and your body builds up um, immunity to it. And away you go with your immune system. That's not what mRNA does. mRNA makes your body make the protein. And they're using some newfangled thing called a lipo nanoparticle. Lipid nanoparticle, I believe it's called. Jenner. Jenner's the one that came up with it. So anyway, I don't think people are going to want to go after this COVID-19 vaccine with any type of, only the real diehard people will do this, I think. Because like I said, I was going to say, You know, Elon Musk recently came out and said he got his second booster and he felt like he was dying. And we have people, I've known people, I've talked to people, we have people in the practice who have gotten boosters. And they said, I'm not going to get another booster because it has a cumulative effect. But here we are, we're going to have this annually, maybe. Ah, Not for me. No, thank you. This is a terrible story. There's no other way to put this. This is from a website called independentsentinel.com by uh, M Dow- Dowling. Sudden tragic death of a quote vax- of a, a vaxed baby from cardiac conditions. Okay, so this is a baby who has received vaccines. It says sudden death of a 6-month-old baby from circulatory and cardiac conditions should raise alarms. The baby died 10 days after receiving 4 vaccines. The shots included the new EUA jab, which is the, the mRNA vaccine. Emergency use authorization. The baby experienced, quote, shock-associated circulatory or cardiac conditions. It was an unexpected death, taking a nap in the afternoon and found pulseless in the crib. This is so awful. In addition to the Pfizer coronavirus vaccine, the baby received on the, the following on September 16. Now this came from VAERS, this report. <laughs> Uh, PDRX, Fluvalval, flu Fluvalval, which is the flu vaccine, Prevnar 13, and Rototech. So when I was a kid, the ones that you would have gotten would have been PDRX or the equivalent. They're, they actually wouldn't even get all of those. So here's what this child got. Okay, this child is six months old. This child got a vaccine against COVID-19, which we know does not prevent COVID-19. Actually, there was a study I read that said if you get the COVID shot, you're more likely to get COVID-19, but you're less likely to die from all causes. Now, what that means, I don't know what to tell you. Anyway, so this baby got the COVID-19 shot. It got flu shot. It got Prevnar, which is for pneumonia. And it got Rototech, which is for rotavirus, which is also an mRNA shot. I didn't know that. And then it got Pediarix, which is DTAP, diphtheria, te- tetanus, acellular pertussis, hepatitis B, and inactivated poliovirus. Okay. So this baby is born now, 2022. It was born because it, it passed away this year, unfortunately. When I was a kid, I'm 44, about to be 45. This is what I would have got. This is what the vaccines that were available DTAP. DTAP, diphtheria, tetanus, acellular pertussis, and activated poliovirus. That's it. I would not have got the hepatitis B virus uh, vaccine. I would have, not have got, I would have not gotten the flu vaccine because it wasn't available. I would not have gotten Prevnar 13 because it was not available. I would have not have got Rototech because it was not available. Rotavirus is a gastrointestinal virus. I would have not got any of those things. So we don't know what killed this baby. All we do know is it died 10 days after getting all these shots. We aren't saying we know what the uh, this is the case or the vaccine caused it, but we would like to look looked into. This is somebody writing on Twitter. And she says the person writing on Twitter, certainly all those shots simultaneously while the baby has an ear infection is concerning. So apparently the baby had an ear infection as well. And it said it was reported on bears on October fifteenth, and the information was released on January thirteenth. So the baby died last year. This is an awful story, terrible. I don't know. We are, you know. Tracy and I have talked about this. Is, you know, hepatitis B is a is a virus that you can get. Uh, through uh, you can get it through food. And it can cause a nasty infection, uh, but it not won't necessarily kill you. Pravnar 13 prevents pneumonia. People do die from pneumonia, but you know Rotarix. I mean, all of these vaccines potentially could help you. But diphtheria will definitely kill you. Tetanus will de- definitely kill you. Acellular pertussis, which acellular pertussis is to protect against, will definitely kill you. And polio, if it doesn't kill you, will definitely paralyze you. So when do you stop at vaccinating? I mean, at what, what what point is too much? I've never been an anti-vaxxer, meaning I don't believe in vaccines. But I do believe in some type of, you know, critical thinking about it. Is that at what point is is, is uh, enough enough and you don't really have to vaccinate against every possibility. And I certainly don't want to vaccinate my baby with a COVID eua vaccine that's the other thing is this is this eua going to extend for these yearly covid shots are they going are they going to finally approve it are they going to pretend like it's still an emergency because right now the covid vaccine is under a eua um license or whatever authorization emergency use but if they're going to do it yearly then then let's let's see the study let's do it you know why not do the study now? Is it still an emergency? I mean, can you ever not be an emergency? Can you ever stop calling an emergency? What else do we have? Woke Medical Schools. This is, Vander, this is from Breitbart. This is scary. Vanderbilt University push, pursues, quote, health equity agenda grounded in critical race theory. So health equity means equity means everyone should have the same health equity means everyone's health should be the same i guess which clearly is illogical but this is a new thing they're pushing now under the guise of fairness under the guise of eliminating racism under the guise of eliminating homophobia under the guise of eliminating transphobia under the guise of uh, getting rid of paternalism under the guise of Everything that you could possibly imagine from the left, this is their new vehicle for, and it's called health equity. Vanderbilt University is one of many institutions applying critical race theory to the medical field in pursuit of, quote, health equity. Vanderbilt Medical University and Vanderbilt University School of Medicine detail their support for this race-based approach to their medicine on their Office of Health Equity website. The site, quote, outlines goals, actions, accountability, and milestones for advancing racial equity at VUMC and VUSM. It explains that VUMC and VUSM plan to, quote, review salaries by race, provide all incoming first-year medical students education on anti-racism and physicians' roles in racial equity and eliminating health inequities, and, this is important, rename Dixie Place and identify other renaming imperatives at VUMC. That's important. Can't have Dixie place. Can't have Dixie chicks. Can't have Dixie place. Can't have a uh, lady antebellum is lady. A when Dixie said they were going to become not when Dixie, but they, they lied. They're still when Dixie, they're still <laughs> Dixie. Anyway, additionally, V U S S M plans to quote, integrate content on racism and, and racial equity into the curricular of all School of Medicine programs and embed additional content on racial equity and health inequities. On and on and on and on and on. Listen to this stuff. The report gives a long list of different ways in which the institution can supposedly dismantle racism in healthcare. For example, it recommends that institutions quote increase the number of racial and ethnic minorities in the candidate pool for all positions, and even track leaders hiring of racially and ethnically ethnically diverse candidates, and hold them accountable. If there is a lack of diversity in their teams, offices, depart, teams, offices, and departments, Is does not explain how these later uh, leaders will be held accountable. Maybe they'll be shot. It says here. It also appears that the task force hopes to tie conformity to the health equity agenda to career advancement with reports asking, with the report asking VUMC and VUSM to quote, to quote, include metrics around reducing incidents of racism, discrimination, and micro and macro aggressions to annual review cycles and promotions. Good God. The report also wants the two medical institutions to increase the number of racial and ethnic minority employees considered for career advancement and promotion within the VUMC, VUSM. On and 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 on. Nothing about this will include, will improve education at these institutions. And what it'll do is, will make people just even more scared. To do anything other than to toe the party line when it comes to race, and also to potentially, uh, not potentially, to necessarily discriminate against people based on their skin color in favor of other people who are preferred based on their skin color or diversity. So I guess you have to. I don't know if it's just. Uh, I guess this is is racism mostly, but racism it all kind of it all kind of gels together. But anyway, so that's your school for you, medical schools. This isn't Virginia only though, Vanderbilt. I'm sorry, not Virginia, Vanderbilt. This is everywhere. This is this is what this report is. But I guarantee you this kind of stuff spreads. It's like imagine that schools were little uh little, little toys on the ground, little, little, um, monopoly houses. And you have them on the ground on your floor. And then imagine you spill something like you spill some milk and imagine that milk is, uh, CRT or chocolate milk. Maybe it's CRT and it just infects everything and all these. So this is going on. It starts at Vanderbilt maybe, but it goes, it's going to go include it. It's going to include everything. And if you're a medical student there, God, God, I feel sorry for you because you're not going to learn, you're you're going to learn, a lot of your schooling is going to be based upon uh, basically getting your mind right, as it were, regarding uh, whatever the the current teaching is on uh, the left, whether it be CRT now, but I'm sure soon it will be about climate activism and, uh, you know, it's going to be about... Just just anything that's part and parcel of the left is going to be crammed down your throat and it's going to make your medical school experience uh, poorer and it's going to make you into a less uh, well-rounded physician. And it's going to make your medical care, if you're a patient, not very, not very, not very much better, not better at all. Could you imagine if your doctor, uh, I don't know. I mean, I couldn't imagine if I was, I am quote unquote of color, I guess. I'm not, I'm not stone cold, white honky. You know, I'm half, half white. I'm half Filipino. So I'm half oppressed, half unoppressed based on the current guidelines. Anyway, you know, they say that you're supposed to only, like they say that, for instance, patients of color, React best. This is according to the experts now, experts on the left, CRT people. Patients of color want a doctor who's of color. And potentially, patients of color will only get fair treatment from a doctor of color because of this anti racism, uh, because of this built in racism that white people supposedly have. You know, according to the anti racists, the only people who can be racist are the whites. It's funny. I was looking earlier for art, those articles for Walter Williams, and I came across the Walter Williams. Um, it was. It's called a gift. I'm gonna read it to you here. It's pretty short. It's made in the in, in, in the. Uh, it's made in the. It looks like a certificate, and it says "Proclamation of Amnesty and Pardon Granted to All Persons of European Descent." Whereas Europeans kept my forebearers in bondage some three centuries, toiling, toiling without pay. Whereas Europeans ignored the human rights pledges, pledges of the Declaration of Independence and the United States Constitution. Whereas the Emancipation Proclamation, the 13th and 14th Amendments meant little more than empty words. Therefore, Americans of European ancestry are guilty of great crimes against my ancestors and their progeny. But, In recognition, Europeans themselves have been victims of various sundry human rights violations to wit, the Norman Conquest, the Irish Potato Famine, decline of the Habsburg Dynasty, Napoleonic and Tsarist adventurism, and gratuitous insults and speculations about the intelligence of Europeans of Polish descent. I, Walter E. Williams, do declare full and general amnesty and pardon to all persons of European ancestry for both their grievances, and those of their forebearers against my people. Therefore, from this day forward, Americans of European ancestry can stand straight and proud, knowing that they are without guilt and thus obliged not to act like damn fools in their relationship with Americans of African ancestry. Walter E. Williams, gracious and generous grantor. There you go. That's, that's my answer for CRT in a nutshell here in florida we had the honor and privilege of the uh, vice president of the united states kamala harris coming to speak at an abortion rally of some sobriety it was about the uh the uh, no longer no longer in effect roe v wade roe v wade uh ruling and it was a 50th anniversary of it and so here's kamala harris quoting from the declaration of independence thomas we declaration of independence that we are each endowed with the right to liberty and the pursuit of happiness oops messed up there so let's let's read the actual one let's read it let's hear her talk again first we made in the declaration of independence that we are each endowed with the right To liberty and the pursuit of happiness. All right. All right. Here we go. This is from the Declaration of Independence. July fourth, seventeen 1776. All right. Here we go. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, and they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. There you go. So she left out creator because we can't be talking about God, and she left out life. We certainly can't be talking about life at an abortion rally. So little uh, little misstep there, but that's okay because she comes, she and her boss here. This is this is a classic. We hold these truths to be self-evident, all men and women created by. The- Go, you know the you know the thing. We don't hold these truths to be, be self-evident. All, All men are me created anybody. by the. Go, you know, you know the you know, know the, the thing. thing. We are- anyway, that's enough for today. Thank you for joining us. Go to drtommy.com slash podcast. Join us uh, online, and then join us in person if you want to hear uh, more about freedom and health care, and you want a personal relationship with your physician and a freedom based approach to health care that is not uh, bound by the guidelines of the government and other authorities, and you want to just get better, join us. And uh, please subscribe so we can get closer to that $50 million mark that Louder with Crowder is getting. Okay? Y'all have a good day, and we'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.